Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Net Worth Podcast, where today we're going to talk about the National Basketball Association. It's a big, big day spread. Um, the NBA trade deadline, I assume, spread you've spent your entire day. You got up, had your uh, you know, Rockstar and Gatorade, and just stared at your computer waiting for Woj tweets and Shams tweets and all that. How's your day been? It's been fun, and I love this part of the year because instead of speculative trades, we're talking about trades that actually happened. And so uh, I'm really excited to actually break down what really went on as compared as to, to what some people thought. And, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of interesting news. I don't know if it's as ground-shaking as some people are making it out to be. Um, but it's definitely a lot of fun and, and definitely a lot of moving pieces um, that will make differences, especially when we're looking to handicap the rest of the regular season. All right, let's jump in. We've got a lot to talk about from a trade perspective, and I've got the list in front of me spread, and I figure what we'll do is we'll go through, kind of take apart each trade, give our thoughts on, you know, from value perspective, you know, whether we thought it was fair, kind of who won, who lost, if you will, and then start to think about it from a handicapping perspective, both for the rest of the regular season and then the playoffs, because you know, the way I kind of have these organized in you know, sort of order of importance in the first group is really what I think trades are going to impact not only the playoff race, but what happens when we get into those playoffs. And none bigger than what the Houston Rockets did to change, you know, kind of entirely of what they look like. So at the end of the day, the Houston Rockets send out Clint Capella, um, some draft picks, Gerald Green. Um, they end up acquiring Jordan Bell at some point. But basically at the end of the day, they also send out Nene and get back Robert Covington, you know, a few other draft picks here. Um, we'll start right there, Spread. What do you think about the Houston Rockets and kind of what they did today in terms of shuffling the deck chairs there and, and you know, frankly, moving the only real two centers they have on the team to acquire Robert Covington? Right. I mean, it's fantastic what Houston is doing as far as just innovation and, you know, really trying things new. I, I didn't expect this, right? I mean, who, who do they have left now? They have Chandler and Hartenstein. Um, who will both come off the bench. Uh, Hartenstein's pretty young, doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't really offer much. And then Chandler's pretty old and that doesn't really offer much either. Um, doing a uh, fun little fact I did for them, even before they made this trade with Capella injured, I think they were the first team since uh, 1963 to play a full regular season game without a player more than six foot six going into the lineup. And they actually won that game. Um, so they are definitely trying something new and trying to be innovative. I mean, let's be honest. The main reason they did is to get rid of, get, get rid of the repeater tax, right? I mean, they were trying to get under the tax. But the way they're going about it is just fascinating to me. So uh, my question for you is, do you think this is a good trade? And number two, is this small ball, like extreme small ball, is this going to work? I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad, but I know that it's incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, essentially what they've decided to do is to totally commit to exactly what you said, playing small ball, to really spreading the floor out, having as many wings as they can, and, and not really worrying about having a strong role man there or having a strong defensive presence at the center of the basket. That's really, frankly, what concerns me. And I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's... It's a commitment unlike anything that we've really seen in the past to this. And you think about D'Antoni, you think about his career kind of starting this with Phoenix. And um, a lot of his interviews really, you hear kind of what he talks about and the Steve Nash stuff that he did with Bill Simmons recently. You can hear Steve Nash talk about it too, that D'Antoni really 
thought that they actually didn't go far enough with that. And I wonder if this is his opportunity to really try to go far enough. Now, like you said, there's some real financial reasons that they would do something like that. And I'm sure that that really sways things from an ownership perspective. And as a GM, of course, you always like to make your boss happy. But um, from a play perspective, I think that this is going to take us some time to evaluate. I think from a regular season perspective, this makes the Houston Rockets one of, if not the most fun teams to watch the rest of the way. Um, you know, I was tossing around in our chat and um, some people talked about this. You know, the total today, they're, they're playing the Lakers tonight. By the time you hear this, the game will either be started or probably over at this point. But the total is 238. I think it opened at like 235 or something like that. Actually, let me see where it did open. But I know that there's been some action on the total there. I mean, I wonder if this is the last time spread we see a total for a Houston Rockets game as low as 238. What do you think about from a, a gambling perspective for the rest of the regular season? How does this change and, and affect your opinion of the Houston Rockets? Uh, let me just jump in real quick because you talked about D'Antoni and how he changed the league. And I just wanted to point out, I think this is actually the direct result of a change that Doc Rivers made. And that was... We're not going to attack the offensive glass anymore. I don't care. It's not worth it. I want you guys to get back and protect the three-point line, right? And so now how many uncontested uh, defensive rebounds do we see? And, you know, it's one of the reasons when, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily think that that, uh, Westbrook's triple-double was as impressive as Oscar Robertson's. Not that I've watched it. Um, But, you know, the number of uncontested defensive rebounds in the game, and you're better with numbers and how to find this stuff. I'll bet you uncontested defensive rebounds has gone up – 50 to 80 percent over the past three to four years as other teams have copied rivers and just decided you know what the, the amount of times we get an offensive rebound and get the put back and, and get a score is much less than the number of times that we're giving up open looks and transition so we're going to get everyone back so now you know this is the logical counter to it um, another interesting aspect of it is are they still building to beat the warriors Right. I mean, (laughs) it's just funny because it's a small ball lineup that actually would be pretty good to counter the team that they went against last year. Um, But going against the Lakers, who are now, you know, arguably the top gun in the West, it doesn't seem like it's a lineup well suited at all. And that's why it's awesome that we get to see it right away tonight. Um, I mean, how they're going to do. I mean, I already tried to hit Anthony Davis over rebounds like as soon as the prop came out. so I, it's that kind of, I guess that kind of transitions into your question about the playoffs. Um, I really have no idea what to make of it, and I can't wait. I think this is really the most fascinating game on the schedule tonight because the Lakers are pretty much the prototype of how this could all go wrong because they can throw McGee, Howard, uh, LeBron, AD out there, and, I mean, I can't see how the Rockets are going to be able to get a defensive rebound if they, if they crash the glass. Um, have you kind of thought about it from that perspective yet? Uh, from a matchup perspective, I wonder if somebody at the Houston Rockets knows something about the Clippers and about the Lakers that maybe we don't know in terms of their big men, in terms of their ability to be um, effective in the post. I wonder if they think that you know the guys that they have can really slow down Anthony Davis and LeBron James enough on that end to make up for the fact that on the offensive end it's just absolutely the most amount of space they can make for Westbrook to slash to the basket, for Harden to do what he does, for Gordon to float around and find spaces to get quick threes and things. So um, I wonder if what essentially they're deciding to do is we're going to score 130 points every night. We just got to keep them from getting to 120. Um, 
and you have to wonder um, if it's that's kind of what the plan is. I think that's to me what's going to be most interesting. I think that's why I'm glad that this is happening now because it's going to make the next couple months of basketball really interesting. It does make the Rockets for me a must-watch because I just need to see how this all looks. What what it can do. I think tonight against the Lakers won't be too much of anything to consider. I'll watch a little bit of that and um, just try to look at some of the statistics when the game's over, see what the pace looks like and things like that. But they're going to be a really fascinating team to watch the rest of the way. And you know, from a bigger picture perspective spread, you know, assuming that they can find a way to get some big man in terms of like a buyout perspective, or even maybe if they don't, I don't know if that's as important to you. So you know, assuming that is important, they're able to do that. What do you think about them again in terms of being a championship contender? Are they a team that you think can contend with either of these LA teams in a seven-game series? No, I mean not anymore. I think the Lakers will be their biggest problem. I actually think they can cause problems for every other team. Um, Gobert, I'm not really too worried about in a Jazz matchup. I think Houston can definitely outscore them. Um, because, I mean, that's their strategy, right? Is that the most D'Antoni thing ever? It's outscore them. Um, Denver, I think they would definitely struggle with Denver. Denver likes to run the bigger lineups, too, uh, with Plumley, And we'll see if Millsap ever comes back. Boy, has he just kind of been – he was supposed to come back pretty soon, and it's been over a month now. Um, Los Angeles, I don't think they have a chance. I think That's why I think the size is going to kill them. The Clippers are not that big, but with the addition of Morris um, – you know, that's going to be tough, too. So I really think they're punting on this year almost with this move. And if it works out, I think it would be incredibly exciting. I just I just don't really have high hopes for it. Yeah, again, I don't see them as championship contenders. At the beginning of the year, I thought that they might be. I thought that mm-hmm. um, that could be a fun team to look at and, and see what they were capable of. But um, at this point, unless they do something really interesting. But again, I think... I think this, what this does is maybe gives them a higher ceiling, a more interesting ceiling. If this does all for some reason somehow work out, which again, I'm not, obviously, you know, I'm not super optimistic about. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I think, again, they, they put themselves in a position where they have a little bit of higher ceiling. But at the very least, um, they're going to be a lot more interesting uh, for the next couple of weeks. All right, Spread, any other thoughts on the Rockets? Um, yeah, just I do think that it's pretty cool that they're rolling the dice. Right, because I didn't really have high hopes for them to beat either of the LA teams before the trade was made, and rather than just doing what every other team is doing, I mean they're really going for it. Um, so I, I do think it's fascinating, and I think that's it's part of the things that makes the NBA fun. Even though I don't necessarily think it's going to work, I, I I think it's cool that they are willing to try something that you know, like you and I are just sitting here like, what are they doing, like? How is this going to work, you know? And the fact that they have the the stones or whatever you want to say to try it, I, I think it's really cool, even though I don't think it's going to work. All right, the next trade that I have here on Well, my... do we want to go over the other aspects of it? Because I think Capella to Atlanta is pretty cool. That's true. I guess we got to co- cover the, the other sides. Of it. That's all I really cared yeah. about was the, the Minnesota. Uh, I'm sorry, the Houston part. Now you're right. The Hawks pick up Clint Capella and Nene. Um, Nene might be a buyout candidate. I He's wonder if he gone. actually ends it right. So I wonder if he ends up back with Houston anyway. Um, you know, Capella slides next to John Collins, and you know their starting roster is going to be those two guys: Trey Young, Herder, and um, I'm sorry, I can't think of the fifth guy there. Is it Hunter or Garland? I can't remember. 
um, who's on that there. It's whoever uh, whoever's healthy. Yeah. All right. So we'll, <laughs> I guess we'll start with you then. You know, what do you think about that move? Is that a good acquisition for Atlanta? Does he make sense next to Collins? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. He makes great sense for Atlanta. Um, pretty much compared to you know the free agent market and what it's going to cost, he is. I think it's a great deal financially uh, for Atlanta. You know they they're not necessarily a free agent destination, so it's not like they were going to get a big name. We all know that this is the weakest free agent class uh, in years coming up this summer, and I think they did a great job to get a player and, and really keep Trey Young. <laughs> from thinking about leaving already, right? Because he's already got to feel it, right? He's dropping 38 and, and getting 10 assists, and they're losing by 15. Um, I think that he's going to look great in the pick and roll with Trey Young. I think he gives them the rim protection that they need and allow takes Collins out um, of having to have the main duties of that. Now Collins can slip in as the small ball five and run a nice, de- decent 10 minutes with there and, and kind of mesh it into another trade that we probably won't spend too much time on. But then Deadman grabs the other 10 minutes, and, and I think you have a, a pretty interesting lineup. And, you know, the Hawks were a team we were high on uh, preseason, didn't live up to expectations, but I like that they're continuing to, to move forward, and I like what this front office is doing. I think they saw an adv- a, a time to take advantage of, okay, Houston's trying to get out of this salary, right? They don't want to pay the repeater tax. It's pretty obvious. And honestly, I don't blame Houston because I don't want to pay a repeater tax when I'm probably not going to win the title anyways. Um, so I think they actually saw a great opportunity and they took advantage of it. And I'm going to be really excited to see that team. I think Capella fits in really well with that team and the timeline of their young players. I think so, too. I think, like you said, um, you know, kind of your, your late comment there about Houston, about that being a trade for next year. I think this is a trade for next year. Um, in terms of Atlanta, I think this is, like you said, they were looking forward to next year. I think they were going to look for a player like this, and they saw an opportunity to pick them up, uh, to pick up the guy that, a, a guy that they liked, frankly, um, before they had to go into the offseason. Um, and I agree. I think the fit's going to be interesting. I think that him and Collins can play together, given you know, some of Collins' shooting. Um, you know, Capella's obviously defensively really good, and that, that could be a really interesting pair for them on that end of the floor, help really cover up a lot of what Trae Young struggles with on that end of the floor. So um, an interesting acquisition for the Hawks, that's for sure. And I think we'll take the Minnesota part of this, and I'm going to hold this until we talk about Minnesota later. How's that sound? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I don't really think it's much. Although, one thing, I know we're bouncing all around. Uh, give me real quick, I actually don't have a lot of opinions, but I know that you are much more familiar with them and maybe even a bigger fan. Covington on Houston, is that a good fit? I don't know how healthy Covington is. He's been pretty good all year. He hasn't been fantastic, um, you know. Given what that r- roster looks like and what I expect from them from a pace perspective, I'm worried about his body holding up, frankly. But if he can be healthy for them, I mean, he's awesome. He adds perimeter defense, which is something any team needs. He adds three point shooting, which any team needs. Um, you know, he's just going to be somebody you can kind of put on the floor. He can guard guys that are bigger than he is. Um, but again, I, I worry about his body and, and his ability to hold up. Okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't really have much of an opinion on that. I pretty much would think exactly what you say. And the funny part is when you said uh, guarding guys bigger than him, at six foot six, <laughs> he's going to be the tallest guy on the floor if they run that lineup without Chandler Hartenstein in there. So he might be drawing some centers and, and some Anthony Davises and some guys like that. So it'll be really interesting to see how well he does. All right, the next deal that I wanted to talk about, uh, the Clippers add Marcus Morris. 
They swapped Mo Harkless, a first-round draft pick, uh, to acquire Isaiah Thomas, who they've already cut. Um, and then the Wizards get Jerome Robinson for some reason. Not sure how the Isaiah Thomas piece ends up in here, but um, I imagine it's a salary cap thing. So at the end of the day, the Clippers basically swap Harkless and a first-round pick for Marcus Morris Sr., um, I guess that's an upgrade. Marcus Morris is better than Mo Harkless. He does a lot of the same things, a little better shooter, um, a little better from an attitude perspective. And you got to think that Doc Rivers can um, you know, really coach him and, and be able to work with him. Uh, what do you think about this move? Does this make the Clippers even better than they were? Yeah, right, because he's a better shooter. He's a great defender, and I think I like the attitude that he brings, right? Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can be laid back, right? And... Uh... And, and Morris brings a little bit of that attitude to the team, and I think it's going to fit in great. I think that they did exactly what teams are supposed to do at the trade deadline, and that's make minor upgrades that don't really mess with your chemistry, but they make your team better. And, and I would give uh, the Clippers an A for this move. I think that they upgraded without giving up a lot. You know, that pick is, you know, for them. If everything goes well, it's going to be, <laughs> you know, pretty much a, a glorified second-round pick. So. Uh, I really like what they did, and I think they really improved their team, and I really think that it's going to help them in their eventual matchup against the other L.A. team, uh, assuming that's what we get. Yeah, I agree. It does make them uh, better. I don't know if it's significant, but it moves the needle just enough, and I think when you get down to a playoff series, it's those kind of adjustments, those kind of improvements uh, that really take a team from being pretty good to being very good and maybe even championship-worthy. Now, looking at some of the futures here, their price has started to float out a little bit. They used to be kind of tied with the Lakers now. The Lakers, I'm seeing plus 275. I'm seeing the Clippers at plus 333. I think I saw a plus 350 somewhere earlier today. Um, what do you think about the Clippers at those prices to win the title? Um, I think it's actually a pretty good deal, right? It's kind of what I'm thinking. It's getting to the point where it might be worth a play. I don't... I wonder if we'll ever get a four to one. If there's ever a plus 400 or something like that, I'll gobble up a little bit of that. But um, just wanted to point that out to everybody. Pay attention to that number because it's been drifting. Yeah, good point. Thank you. I didn't even notice that. Now, the only... So nothing else really there. I mean, again, from a Knicks perspective, opens up playing time for more younger younger guys. They get to avoid... Which the, is smart. ...the hassle of having to try to sign him to a long-term deal. Um Washington gets to gets off Isaiah Thomas's contract, gets Jerome Robinson, blah blah blah. So, um, pretty interesting deal from a Clippers perspective. Not much else there. Any other thoughts on the Clippers or that deal spread? No, I think we summed it up pretty well. I think it was a nice little move that doesn't seem like it's that big a deal that will pay dividends in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know if it changes our regular season handicap at all. Does it change your regular season handicap? The Clippers? Do you maybe move them up a half a point or something like that? No, I, didn't, I was redoing my numbers today, and I didn't move them at all. But um, I do like them a little more for the playoffs. Now, the Miami Heat made a pretty nice couple acquisitions from my standpoint. You know, really kind of solidified a few positions. They pick up Andre Godala, Jay Crowder, and Solomon Hill uh, from the Memphis Grizzlies for Justice Winslow, James Johnson, and Dion Waiters. I think there might have been a draft pick in there as well. Um, 
like that deal, frankly, for both sides. The Memphis Grizzlies move on from some players they frankly don't need. Pick up a guy in Justice Winslow who could be really interesting with their starting five, and we'll talk about that in a second. But from a Heat perspective, they pick up Iguodala and Jay Crowder, two guys that add more length, more shooting, and more um, defensive ability to the roster, which is something you can never really turn down, frankly. So, Spread, what do you think of this? I thought this was a nice deal from the Heat's perspective. Yeah, I think that... I don't know. I don't know if it's as good as everyone else is making it out to be. Um, from watching Iguodala last year, uh, he definitely is not the same player he was, you know, three to four years ago. Definitely lost a step on the defensive end. He's not shutting anyone down. Like, you know, I know he did a great job to get that finals MVP in 2015 um, by really doing a great job on LeBron James. I, I don't think he's that player anymore. His three-point shooting definitely declined. He wasn't the um, same shooter that they needed at the end of the year. Um, so I don't know. The thing that I do think that he adds is a great attitude, and I think that he'll be a great locker room presence, and I think that he helps the younger team uh, that the Heat have very well. I think he'll be very instructive in that locker room, almost the exact opposite of how he was for Memphis, right? Um but I don't know if this moves as much as people think it do. I mean, I don't know if I even want him in my in my closing five if I'm the Heat. And people seem to think that he will be out there. So I'll be really interested to see how he was physically. He really seemed to be winding down there. And I'm interested to see if the time off uh, is going to be helpful for him or if it's maybe the final uh, nail. Because I know he was having problems with that hamstring and staying on the court. And I also wonder, you know, staying out of the NBA for nine months and then trying to ramp it back up, if he will be able to to stay healthy. What do you think? I think he's in a perfect place from that perspective in that uh, the Heat have plenty of bodies basically to take up the minutes until he's ready to play. And I think that this is a move looking towards the playoffs. I think from a regular season perspective, this doesn't change really much, if anything, the way I'm going to bet the Miami Heat. But from a playoff perspective, I think this makes them a lot more interesting challenge for the Milwaukee Bucks, a lot more interesting challenge for the Philadelphia 76ers in that they have these couple other big bodies to basically put on the floor defensively. I mean, Iguodala, even in short minutes, and again, I don't expect him to play a ton. Maybe in the playoffs they have him playing 20-plus minutes a night. But in those minutes... He's going to be a really great defensive presence. They can bring him in to you know, try to slow down Giannis from time to time, at the very least outsmart him um, for a little while and make him work. They can bring him in against the Sixers to you know, kind of mess with Ben Simmons, frankly, a little bit, to guard Tobias Harris, um, basically just to have him float around the floor and you know, kind of mess things up. So I think from a playoff perspective, it's really interesting. From a regular season perspective, though, I'm not going to change too much. Now, I don't know if it makes the Heat a championship contender, but I think it raises, again, their, their overall ceiling. Sim- similar to what we said with Houston, you know, they're definitely not a championship contender, but I think the Heat is going to be a team that I'm going to look at and, and really think hard about betting them when we get to a playoff series price perspective as underdogs in some of those series. So what do you think about that? Oh, definitely, yeah. I was pretty excited about the Heat. I, I think that they're a great team. Um, I think that Jimmy Butler's found a group of men that that matches work ethic and, and kind of his intensity level. And I'm really excited about the Heat. I just don't know if I'm as excited about this move as everybody else is. I don't know if it's really changed my excitement level. But it was so high to begin with 
Um, that could be a reason why that I'm not as excited about this as everyone else. Yeah, from a Eastern Conference odds perspective, because that's what I would look at for Miami. I mean, they're seven to one, which feels just about right at this point. I mean, to win the mm-hmm. championship, they're twenty to one. That makes sense. So. We'll see again if any of these numbers change from a long-term perspective. But when we get to those individual series, I'm going to be thinking long and hard about um, finding ways to be on the heat when we get to playoff time. Yeah, I definitely agree. And from the other side, the Memphis Grizzlies pick up Justice Winslow. Uh, James Johnson, they already traded away um, for Gorgie Deng, which is actually a nice pickup as well. And then Deion Waiters, I assume they're just going to buy out, cut, or put on a boat and send him out to sea. Um I guess there's no ocean in Memphis, so that might be tough. Maybe there's a river spread. <laughs> but anyway, Justice Winslow joins a core of Ja Morant, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, uh, just a ton of young talent. And again, you got to like the attitude of all those guys. They're um, hard workers. They're guys that have chips on their shoulders. They seem to be not too concerned about being super popular. They're not too concerned about, you know, frankly, being too brash. I mean, what did you think about all those tweets going back and forth about Andre Iguodala and Dylan Brooks basically saying, you know, if he's not here, great. I hope he gets traded to a team we play so we can beat his ass and, um, you know, people tweeting back and forth and stuff. I kind of like that. I I like that a young group of guys feel that way, frankly. Like, this guy's going to hold out like what a jerk. I mean, I, I think I would feel that way too. Maybe not so publicly, but what do you think about all that spread? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it's funny because I heard people talking about, you know, ratings and the decline and how NBA players aren't relatable. Uh, I think this Iguodala thing was was a perfect example, right? I mean, the guy sit there, he's getting $17 million for not going to work. Who can relate to that? Um, you know, he doesn't want to play with the team. You know, I saw another one. You know, Vince Carter's out here at 43 playing with the Hawks, and they're absolutely terrible, right? And he doesn't feel like he's above it. Um, so I actually, I didn't really like the way that Iguodala handled it. I know that he's very happy and he thinks that he did some shrewd business and everything, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that this type of stuff helps the NBA where you have guys that are completely, uh, refusing to go to a team. And, you know, I think Iguodala's place as, as a high ranking member of the players association had something to do with the fact that Memphis really didn't want to kind of put their foot down and they kind of allowed him to not show up, not be with the team and, and still get paid. Um, so I, I didn't really like that about the way that Iguodala handled it, but I love that his teammates called him out because now I can relate to his teammates, right? We're talking about Iguodala being unrelatable. I can relate to that, right? If someone thought they were too good to be on our podcast, right? I mean, we wouldn't like the guy, right? <laughs> I'm too good to talk to you guys, right? I'm way better than you guys. You know, I'm saving myself for a real podcast. We'd be like, forget you, right? And I love that they came out. And I think this is the type of stuff um, that made instantly Memphis, number one, more likable and more relatable because who hasn't had a work experience where they had a coworker who just thinks that they're too good for the room? Um, so I loved it. And uh, just real quick before I sum it up, um, Memphis, you know, we talk about my frustrations as a Kings fan and a rebuild. Are they just showing you a master class on how to rebuild the team? I think that Memphis' front office should get so much credit for the way they handled this whole thing, right? They grab Iguodala. They get a first-round pick just for taking on his contract, right? So they got a 2024 first-round pick from the Warriors, right? Then they turn that around, and they've got a first-round pick and Justice Winslow for getting rid of him, you know? So, I mean, that's how you do a rebuild, 
I mean, it's just fantastic, the stuff that they're doing, rather than, you know, using the cap space to overpay free agents. They're taking on bad contracts, they're grabbing assets, and then they're turning around and getting rid of those bad contracts and getting more assets. I mean, I really, I had so much respect for uh, the Memphis players for how they handled it, and most of all, the Memphis front office for really, I mean, that's how a team, a small market team should use cap space. You should use it to acquire assets. Because we know, right? I mean, Giannis isn't going there, right? They're not getting a free agent. LeBron didn't have a Memphis on his list when he became a free agent, right? They're never going to get a really big guy. So this is how you use cap space. And I really thought it was an instructional uh, for the uh, small market teams on how, you know, instead of just sitting there and going whining like, oh, we're Sacramento, no free agent will ever come here. What do we do? Let's just overpay Dwayne Dwendman. No, this is how you use your cap space. You use it to take on bad contracts and grab assets. So uh, I was really impressed with the way that Memphis's front office has has handled this rebuild that they're undergoing right now. Absolutely. I mean, and you look at the way that they just crush these draft picks. Um, now, right. John Morant, that's pretty easy at number two. But you look at Jaron Jackson. They took him fourth. But they took him over Trey Young. They took him over Bamba, who was highly rated at that time. Colin Sexton was really high then. Um, you know, uh, Trey Young, I guess, is the biggest name there. But to have the ability to, to know to take him there, you look at Brandon Clark, the 21st pick in the, in, in the overall draft. And then Dylan Brooks, I mean, he was the 45th pick. They took him in the middle of the second round. All four of those guys, you know, just really, really nice picks from where they were. And that's the tough part. I mean, teams can acquire picks, but being able to hit those picks – um, is what really ends up being difficult. So, uh, you know, absolute hats off to them. I and mean, Memphis has to be at this point the most fun young roster, the most exciting core in the NBA going forward for the next few years. So, love to see how these you know young guys get together and play and gel. And um, I think they'll be able to keep this core together in a really big way. Yeah. So overall, I think they did. They handled this whole situation fantastically. Uh, as players and as an organization. So uh, nothing but respect for the Memphis organization on the way they've handled this trade deadline. Absolutely. Um, now let's jump into the next deal I have here. Uh, my Philadelphia 76ers pick up a few pieces here. Alec Burke, uh, Glenn Robinson give up three second round draft picks and end up having to give up uh, James Ennis. They get a second round draft pick back. So um, basically at the end of the day, they get Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson for two for second round picks and James Ennis as you start to take all the plus and minuses there. Um, I think that this makes the Sixers better. I mean, they bring on more shooting. They bring on um, you know some better guard play, which is something they've definitely needed. So we'll see how that works and if they're able to use that to space the floor out. But uh, this doesn't make a big impact to me really from a regular season perspective from a playoff perspective i don't know if this makes the 76ers that much better i think they still have all the same problems they did yesterday um spread any reason for me to be more optimistic or do you agree um i definitely agree they had the same problems they did yesterday and you know we can do a whole different podcast on the problems of the 76ers but i still think it's almost like the clippers it's a small move it doesn't disrupt any locker room chemistry but number one, you've got a little better on, on paper, right? You made your roster better. And two, it signals to the team that we are, you know, we're trying to improve. Um, I like, I mean, I, I think you mentioned in the chat, right? Someone said something to you about it, like, oh, da, da, da. And you said it can't hurt, right? And that's right. my exact attitude towards it. You didn't give up anything. Those picks are what, in the 50s? And that the hit rate on that is like 1%. It's like Isaiah Thomas and like three other guys. Um 
So you basically improved your roster for giving up a pick that those picks go for usually between 1.4 and 2.2 million. If you really need a second round pick that bad, if you really need a pick in the fifties, that's what basically the going rate was the last two or three years. Right. So, I mean, like you said, it can't hurt. And I don't really think at this point in the season, I mean, they already have problems integrating everyone and, and figuring out how everything's going. I don't think you do a major shakeup move there. Right. Unless you were to move Horford, because that does not really seem to be working out, you know, but, you know, barring, you know, an awesome, awesome, uh, you know, offer for him. I don't think you move Horford because assuming that you guys do make it to play Milwaukee, that's where you need him. Um, so I thought it was, I thought Philly did well. I mean, they basically gave up nothing and they improved their bench. I think so too. It's a nice move. It's definitely a positive from that from, from their perspective. I think it makes the team better. But again, we'll see if it matters from a long term perspective. I mean, the second round picks aren't totally invaluable for a team that's going to struggle from a salary perspective in those years. It's nice, frankly, to have kind of those bodies at those cheap numbers. Um, but we'll see. Again, they give up two and pick up two guys that you know aren't too bad from a contract perspective. Now, that's just about it from. Uh, um, you know, teams that really, I think, made trades today that might impact things from a playoff perspective. You know, at the end of the day, I don't think that we saw anybody that really moved the needle too much. I was excited about some of the um, Miami Heat stuff. Again, I think that raises their ceiling. We both like what the Clippers did. We think that makes them even better than they were before. Um, but everybody else, you know, kind of stays where they are. So you're not going to give me an in-depth breakdown on the Kings acquiring Jabari Parker? Well, we were going to get there. We were going to get there. I thought I thought of that more as the Kings dumping Dwayne Dedman. But yeah. let's get into some of the trades that um, maybe were less important. And what the hell, we'll skip some of the more fun ones and go right to that. Um, the Sacramento Kings trade Dwayne Dedman and uh, two second-round picks to acquire Jabari Parker and Alex Len. Um, spread, what's it like to acquire the um, Atlanta Hawks frontcourt? I mean, I'll go ahead and give your thoughts on it. Basically, I think I gave my thoughts earlier when I was talking about Memphis. It just shows how the Kings don't know how to rebuild. They don't know how to use their assets, uh, you know, their their cap space. They overpay a guy. Then they realize he doesn't fit, and now they're basically dumping him. Although, to be fair, we have like 36 second-round picks. So getting off those second-round picks doesn't even matter. Um, but I'll be telling you what, I'm not too excited to see Jabari Parker in a Kings uniform. Um, do you think this in any way affects either team? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, for the Hawks, it makes it easier to not have Alex Lenz' big, dumb, pouty face at the end of the bench because he, he wouldn't play for a whole second. I mean, Jabari Parker, I think, would be good for them, but I guess that's the cost of picking up Deadman, who um, I think will, again, play nicely in the rotation as the third guy to compel in Collins. You kind of have three guys that are strong defensively, that shoot well enough, that protect the basket. Um, I think that's actually going to be a fun little rotation. So I think it does make the Hawks better, but not in a way that I, I'm super excited. Um, you know, from just like you said, from a Kings perspective, it's just sad. I mean, you got to think this is clearly just a way to move, get off Deadman's salary. You pay a couple second round picks, and you get a way to sort of move on from him. So, um, yeah, like you said, just another kind of sad moment as a Kings fan spread. I mean, how many more years until you guys have the longest playoff drought in the NBA? I think we'll tie it. This year we'll go to 14, and so we would tie it next year and break it the year after that. And I'll tell you what, as far as our optimism with the beginning of the year, 
That is completely gone, and I think that record is in our sights, and we are ready to grab it. Well, congratulations, Fred. <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, yeah. You know, just maybe wait to get in line for uh, King season tickets. Oh, dude, they're dumping like crazy. Like, even when you turn the games on, uh, for us, uh, Arena goes 17,000. I think the most they'll ever get now is like 11K. So it'll be interesting to see how far attendance drops before Vivek gets rid of Vladi, who I think has kind of shown that he is completely um, unqualified for the job that they put him in. All right, the big trade of the day that doesn't really have any playoff implications here, the Minnesota Timberwolves acquired D'Angelo Russell, uh, Jacob oh, Evans, yeah. and Amari Spellman for Andrew Wiggins, a top three protected first-round pick in 2021, and a second-round pick in 2021. So Wiggins, a first and a second for D'Angelo Russell. Um, what do you think about that move for the Timberwolves? I mean, this is obviously a, a move long-term. We've heard kind of whispers of this during the offseason. Carl Anthony Towns talking about you know, he's going to play with D'Angelo Russell somehow and maybe somebody else. Um, what do you think about this from a Timberwolves perspective? Is that the appropriate price for D'Angelo Russell? And do you like the long-term fit of Russell with Carl Anthony Towns? I mean, I think it goes some more to say we talk about mismanaging your cap space, right? So they basically had to give up a first-round pick to get off of Andrew Wiggins, who was arguably the worst contract in the league. And that would be a fun pod for us to do a different time. The actual just worst contract in the league. But I would put Wiggins up there. And I think he's inarguably one of the top five worst contracts in the league. So, um, you know, it's a tough price to pay. I do like the Russell... Towns um, combination and I do think that it's nice that they are you know they're doing things to try and keep Towns right they're not giving up on moving him he said hey I want to play with this guy and they went out and got him uh, the price of the first round pick though I don't know seems a little steep in my book but when you combine getting off the Wiggins contract uh, I think that both teams uh, did did rather well here I think so, too. This deal makes a lot of sense. I mean, from a Timberwolves perspective, um, it'll be fun to have Russell playing together with Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, defensively, that's a nightmare. But offensively, that could be really interesting, a really fun pick and roll. Um, Wiggins moving to the Warriors is kind of funny. I like the Warriors reloading from a draft pick perspective. That could be a really interesting pick if things go awry in Minnesota, which is definitely possible. And then Wiggins, I mean, is he just like re-upping on the idea of Harrison Barnes. I mean, are they just kind of getting the band back together from 2014, 2015, where it's just going to be, all right, well, next year we've got Draymond, we've got Clay, we've got Curry. Uh, we'll find a big guy to go out there, hopefully. I mean, it'll be Looney, I guess, since they didn't move him today. And then instead of Harrison Barnes, here's Andrew Wiggins. And, uh, you know, roll that out there and see what they got. I mean, he's endlessly talented still. From time to time, he does things that are just... Um, absolutely impressive. He's kind of like Jeff Green 2.0. You just don't know what he's going to do from night in to night out. But uh, you know, maybe they find a way to motivate him and do something interesting things with him. But I just see this as kind of the Warriors is acquiring someone that looks a lot like Harrison Barnes to them and someone that they look at and go, all right, well, let's put him in there. Defensively, he's good. He seems to be comfortable not shooting a whole lot, and he won't have to on this team. So maybe he'll let, he'll thrive being you know kind of the third, fourth, fifth banana instead of having to be out in the front like that. Yeah, and actually, it's not too bad in reality, right? Because he's not going to have much of an offensive workload. Um, assuming that he commits on the defensive end, he can be an average to above average defender. And also, this is similar to the Rockets, 
this was key, and I know it sucks to lose Spellman, but that gets them under the tax now. And now I don't think that they're going to hit the repeater tax for next year. I'd have to double check, you know, with Duncan and LaRue, the guys that are the salary cap gurus. But uh, from what I was reading, I think this gets them out of the repeater tax, which was huge for them. Because, yes, 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 it does. Yeah, and isn't it like that their fourth year in a row? And doesn't it kind of like uh, they're at the point where it starts to have really compound, even more compounding uh, problems? I think that's part of the reason Houston wanted to get out as well because it does get to be yeah. pretty burdensome at some point. And you know, if you're not feeling great about your chances this year, this is the year, this is the time to do it. So, a really good move for Golden State, I thought going forward. I didn't love the fit there with Russell. I don't think that he makes a lot of sense with that roster. So to be able to move off of him, get some draft picks, get someone that, that maybe has a little bit of upside makes a lot of sense to me. From a Minnesota perspective, they got their guy, and, and let's see how that goes. Yeah, I just do you think that first-round pick price is a little steep. I just, for a rebuilding team to give up what will probably be a lottery pick for Russell, I don't know. Do you like that? I kind of think the Warriors did pretty well there. What do you think? I think it's top three protected. I thought that they could have maybe got some better protections there on the on the pick, but it's someone that they've targeted over and over and over again, and they moved off a bad contract at the same time. Um, you know, like you said, the Wiggins contract is not great, and the Russell contract is something you can work with. So to move off the Wiggins contract might be worth a, a pick in that range. And again, it's only one first round pick. We've seen teams put as many as two in here, as well as you know a, a young promising player. Um, without even moving off a bad contract like that. So I don't think it's a great deal for Minnesota. Again, not something I would have done if I was the GM of that team. But, you know, maybe something you think about, again, if you're kind of sick of rolling Andrew Wiggins out there every year. I don't think that they paid too much of a tax to pick up Russell on top of getting rid of him. Yeah, I, honestly, I thought it was a terrible trade for the Warriors till I saw the pick. And then I said, <laughs> that's a pretty good pick to get for someone just to take on Wiggins' salary. I mean, they'll... Probably, you know, if you get the number five or the number six pick in the draft next year, not to, uh, as well as having their, your pick this year, I mean, that is going to be pretty good. So um, I actually think it was pretty good from the Warriors' perspective um, be, to be able to get that pick out of them. Yeah, I, again, that's what I like the most about it from a Warriors' perspective. It's a really interesting pick, and you look at that top three protection, and, you know, we'll talk about that a lot, I think. I think that's going to end up mattering. I wonder if there ends up being a really good chance of that being four, five, or six in a draft that, that might be um, pretty good. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but I like that trade. I, I liked it from both teams' perspective. Again, as from a Minnesota perspective, they got their guy. I don't think they paid too much of a tax to do it. And um, the Warriors, I think, make the team better, get under you know that repeater tax level, and uh, pick up a couple assets along the way. So pretty good from both sides for me. All right. Now, the last move of the day, um, the one that kind of shocked people the most right at the end, Andre Drummond headed to Cleveland for John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a second-round draft pick. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, so what does that uh, – I mean, before we, get, before we get to what that <laughs> means for the, either of these teams, what I find most interesting about this is – I think this speaks volumes about what the NBA thinks of Andre Drummond at this point, how they evaluate a player like him and, and you know their ability to use him and be productive in the way the basketball's played today because I think just about any team in the NBA could have beaten this or gotten to something relatively in, in this realm. I mean, at least maybe added a second-round second pick, for the love of Christ. I mean, this is 
two players that you're probably going to cut and a second round draft pick for Andre Drummond. Now I know that you don't want him, you know, accepting that option in, in Detroit maybe. And again, it's an opportunity to move off of somebody, but my gosh, I mean, what does this say about Andre Drummond and what the NBA really thinks of him? Right. I mean, it's just that $27 million for a guy um, who does post scoring, which, um, and, and if, if we ever do a full Philly podcast, we'll go into this. Um, do you know it's the only player that uh, averages more points per post up than any than if you take the league average shooting from three point range is Joel Embiid. So, so my point there is is just getting any player in the NBA at random shooting a three point shot is actually more efficient than Andre Drummond in the post. So, so you're not getting a lot from the offensive end there, right? The shot blocking and the rim protection is awesome, but at what cost, right? And, and the rebounding is great too, but at what cost? I mean, $27 million for a guy like that, it just shows, and we talked about it before, using your cap space is so important, and, and sometimes the best move is the one that you don't make, the contract that you don't sign. You know, the overpay that you don't make. So you don't get yourself in situations like this. Now, to be fair, Detroit got off there pretty easily, right? We just saw that um, Minnesota had to give up a first-round pick to get off that Wiggins contract. And obviously, Russell's an asset, too, at age only 23 or 24. And if you actually look at his numbers and, and, and don't watch any tape, just look at his numbers, he's very pretty good for a guy his age, right? So, I mean, they did get an asset, you know, going out for that first-round pick. Um, but... It, it just basically just shows, uh, you know, if you sign a guy and you overpay him, you torpedo his, his trade value because nobody wanted to take on that contract, and it was obvious. And then I think this is also another fun exercise. Where does he go now as playoff contenders where he really moves the needle? Maybe Boston? Maybe? I would think, again, at this price, I'm going to have to pull up the trade machine right here and try to figure out maybe quickly what Boston would have had to give up. I guess salaries are tough for them, frankly, but you think that they could have maybe found a way to bring in another team to make the salaries work or something like that. I mean, at this price, I don't know, you know, again, if it takes the Celtics and make them championship worthy, but at this I don't think it does, do you, right? What's their main problem? Embiid and Embiid eats them alive. It's another so, it's another body though at a, at a relatively cheap price. I mean, from my perspective, it doesn't seem like they really had to give up a lot. Um, but how would you fit the twenty seven million under the cap? Let's try on what I'm figuring out. I'm looking right now to see because you'd who have who to give up to a give major up. piece. Like, what are you going to give up, Gordon Hayward? I mean, um, there's it's not like you'd have to get like for it to not to matter. You'd have to give up like five guys, you know, to get to that twenty seven million. You just can't match the salaries. Yeah, I'm trying to make that work right now. It's really tough without, you're right, having to give up like a really serious piece. Who's this Poirier guy? Um, blah, 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 blah. So, anyways, regardless of that, I just don't, I think it just shows that, you know, um, you know, being a below average scorer and, you know, a rim, a rim protector should go for, if you're doing your salary cap right, should be between five to ten million dollars in the current salary cap that's what you should pay for your room protector that's what most championship teams are paying for their room protection right and you can't afford to pay 27 million for something that every other team is getting for seven million even if he is the best one 
Now, and that that's even arguable. Now, despite all that spread, I love the way that Andre Drummond fits on this team. He's perfect. On Cleveland? He's perfect. He's perfect next to Kevin Love. Next to Kevin Love on Cleveland? You put him next to Kevin Love on Cleveland, you've got the spacing you need from Love. You've got the rim protection you need from Drummond. They've got enough shooting at other places, hypothetically, with Garland, Sexton, and Osmond. I think it's a really interesting team. Uh, I mean, from a regular season perspective, I'm going to be looking at this Cleveland team to see what they do, you know, both on the floor and from a numbers perspective to see what they're able to accomplish. Because if Drummond, and again, it's all about effort level, right? If Drummond shows up and him and Kevin Love are hanging out and having pity parties and going out at night and eating steaks and drinking too much and coming in and not giving a shit, um, you know, that's where the eye test, I think, really matters. Taking a look and seeing if, you know, he puts on a bunch of weight and doesn't really give a shit. Um, but if, the, if this team is able to focus and, and try hard, I think they could be a really interesting team for the rest of the way. I mean, you, so I guess, you know, based on your action, you don't, do you, do you not like the fit? Um, you know, again, assuming everybody tries hard and is adults and professional basketball players, I mean, you don't think he fits, do you think he fits nicely next to love with the rest of that roster? Honestly, I hadn't thought about it till you brought it up <laughs> because it was the last trade to go on before before we started, right? Right. So uh, we, you know, we it's almost like uh, you know you'd be inundated with so much information. I was trying to adjust my numbers and decide what I felt each one of these players were worth in going and outgoing. But now that you mention it, it's very very good. I agree. The log jam with Tristan Thompson, I think, will be an issue. Um, but hey, you can get around that when you when you haven't won any games to begin with, right? It's not like you have to worry about messing up the apple cart, right? He's an it's obvious like, buyout candidate, I think. Yeah. Well, I think they said they're not going to. Oh, really? That's but um, yeah, because that was the one that they were thinking that maybe the Rockets would try and get on. That's because I think that Thompson would have, if he did get bought out, would have fit into that Rocket scheme very well. Because yeah, I think he, he's he definitely has to worry to slow him down. Yeah. Well, you, put, you get to put um, him on the bench, and he be, he gets to go back to being that energy guy coming off and beating up on second units. So I think that yeah. makes him even better. Um, but go ahead. Oh no! So I have another question for you now, and it's how it goes for cap space. Now the thing is, so we all know he's going to pick up the twenty-seven million, right? But does doesn't that actually make him kind of an attractive piece next year for teams trying to shed salary to gear up for? the good free agent class that isn't this summer but next summer because i'm thinking that some teams will want to pick him up and will be trying you know will give an asset to take on his expiring next year because that's a 27 million dollar expiring so that pretty much if you can get get some you know get Ooh, cleveland to take a first i love this right and then you get the 27 million expiring if you're I new york this. or LA or someone that can actually this is great this right so I do think it was a good move and we talk about smart asset management right it so they basically gave up nothing and now they got a piece that I think they'll get a first rounder for him next year as an expiring so overall I like the deal for Cleveland I hadn't thought about the implications this year but when you mentioned this year I think that it makes me even like this deal even more for Cleveland I love the way your brain's working there and the way you're thinking about um, you know him as an expiring contract next year, and the actually the value of having somebody in a one-year, twenty-eight million, twenty-seven million dollar deal, whatever the actual number is, uh, that's really, really brilliant spread. And I think that works perfectly with Cleveland, kind of their timeline. If they're able to, you know, acquire another good player in the draft, um, 
you know, Love kind of settles down and, and plays well and are able to move him you know, this summer. Then they have Drummond, another big piece to move and kind of continue to pile up and hopefully acquire assets and you know, maybe do a little better from a draft perspective and maximizing those assets. But I do like, again, his fit from a regular season perspective. I, I like what you're thinking from a long-term perspective. It's just a great move all around for Cleveland. Yeah, definitely. All right, Spread, that's all the trades that I have. I'm going to go in here and hit a little re- refresh on my little ESPN trade tracker thingy and see if we missed anything. Um, but that is just about it, I believe. Yep, I'm looking through. I don't see anything else from a trade perspective. We've covered just about everything else. So uh, The ones, only ones we really missed was the impact for Denver. They added Jordan McRae because they dumped Does that matter? Napier. Some people seem to think it did. Like our good buddy, the Crolitarian, liked it. Yeah, and I skipped that. He's a good locker locker room guy. Sure, go. I don't really room. know if it matters. I don't know if it matters. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the Nuggets kind of moved a bunch of pieces around, so we can talk about them real quick. Um, as part of the Timberwolves trade with Robert Covington and the Hawks and all that stuff, the Nuggets kind of slid their way in there and dumped Malik Beasley, Juan Hernan Gomez, picked up Gerald Green, um, Kata Bates, Diop, Shabazz Napier. No Vonley, then they take Napier and turn him into Jordan McRae. So the Nuggets basically dump Beasley, Hernan Gomez, and I imagine Vanderbilt maybe was on the Nuggets. I don't even really know who that is. Uh, but, you know, they, again, they acquire um, Green, Bates, Diop, Vonley, and uh, Jordan McRae. I don't know if, again, that really moves the needle for me at all. I like Malik Did Beasley. they get like a pick a out of player. this whole deal? Uh, yeah, they got a, you know what? They got a first round pick from the Rockets. Okay. Well, that makes sense then because basically I don't think they were going to be able to bring back Beasley or Hernan Gomez. So they basically got a late first-round pick um, for two players who were going to leave in restricted free agency um, to begin with. So I think that's – we talk about using your assets correctly. I think that was a good way to do it. And and I'm kind of with you. Other than maybe, you know, making the locker room a little more fun, um, what what does McGray give you a good – five to seven minutes a night in the regular season and he's not going to touch the floor barring injury in the postseason but i think that's how you use your assets you had two restricted free agents that you weren't going to be able to resign because you already have money committed um to other players and you know uh now you've got a late first round pick on it that will come in on a low deal that you can't afford so um i think i thought uh, denver did well i think so too i mean it's again a good it's always good to be able to kind of rearrange the deck chairs a little bit, move on some players, open up and, and kind of focus your top eight, top nine guys. They pick up a first round draft pick at the same time. So uh, a pretty fun trade deadline overall, frankly, a lot of pieces moving around um, a few teams, you know, again, the um, Houston Rockets change completely how they look. The Clippers get stronger. The Grizzlies get even better from a long-term perspective. Um, you know, the Sixers hopefully shore up a couple more spots. Andre Drummond hit. Uh, finally gets out of Detroit. I mean, just a lot of interesting trades. And then the Kings did some stuff. Um, you know, all those things. <laughs> all right, Spread. Um, nothing else that I really plan on covering today. It's going to be too late for us to really cover any of those Thursday games before people get a chance to hear this. I'm not seeing too much, if any, lines for Friday. So anything really before we wrap uh, yeah, I got a fun question for you. So I know that you do uh, rankings like me, and I know I don't know like you know this is just fun and you know I don't don't hold you to it. But after this trade deadline, which team would you move up the most as far as your power ratings, and which team would you move down the most? 
And this is for the rest of the regular season. Yeah, for the rest of the regular season. So I try to generally build my power rankings, and you can find those at Bang the Book. I put those out every Monday, and I I try to look at the week ahead. But as I start to look at regular season teams, and and really the only thing that changes from week to week is how good everyone's playing, how well they're shooting, and things like that, and and making adjustments for that, and opponents face, and things like that, and injuries. But assuming everybody stays healthy, you know, it's kind of the same week to week. Um, I think from a regular season perspective, the team that changes the most is the Rockets. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I think that's going to be a team I'm going to stay away from for a couple weeks. You know, unless I see a total that looks pretty low, I'm going to try to attack overs there. I think that they're going to have to drive a lot of pace, which is going to obviously drive higher and higher totals. Um, you know, The Grizzlies have always been good. I don't think that necessarily picking up Winslow makes them that much better. I almost wonder, again, if that acquisition of Drummond for Cleveland, again, if he's kind of mad and, and playing well and, and they're able to focus and play well, I think that moves them from you know one of the worst teams in the NBA to maybe kind of middle of the pack, which is where you can find value, frankly, uh, from an underdog perspective from a lot of spots. But I think that besides the... And again, besides Houston, which is going to take us some time to really figure out what that means, I don't know if anybody's moved the needle in a big way from a regular season perspective. How about you? All right, you can you can critique mine. So I moved the Hawks up a point and a half. I think they addressed uh, this is from regular season for the rest of the year. Okay. I think they addressed you know their rim protection. I think the the floor looks so much better for them now. I think that John Collins is going to be a lot more comfortable and effective in his new role. So I really like what they did. And from a downgrade perspective, I moved the Pistons down a full point. I think that what they did was smart um, because now they should be in position for a better draft pick. And, you know, they got off a contract that they didn't want. Um, But for the rest of the regular season, I think that, you know, as much as we kind of talked about how Drummond doesn't help you win a championship, he does help you win regular season games. And I do think there's a loss there. So I moved the Hawks up a point and a half and the Pistons down a point. What do you think? I think the Hawks are are a great pick. That's probably the team I overlooked as I went through here. I think you're right. The addition of Capella really fills out their roster, and they have an opportunity to get much better as the regular season goes on. Um, Let me pull up real quick. I mean, they're just, they have absolutely no chance of making the playoffs, right? That would be insane. Mm. That would be insane. The East is pretty weak. I mean, the East is, so they'd have to catch the Magic, who we don't like at all. They are eight and a half games back of the Magic. For that eighth spot, I mean, they'd have to go on one hell of a run. So I can't imagine that right. happening, obviously. But I like what they're going to be. I think you're right. That is the team that probably gets upgraded the most. Uh, it's interesting, actually. You know, normally you look at a trade deadline and you think about all the better teams getting better. But we're talking about the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the uh, Atlanta Hawks. But I think you're right. Those are the teams that move the needle up. Um, you know, kind of moving down. I think you're right, Detroit. I think the Warriors actually get worse as a result of this. I think that. Mm. Russell makes things even more, you know, losing Russell there makes things even more difficult than uh, for them from a scoring perspective. I think that Warriors team total unders are going to be really great looks when you get a chance. Um, and there's a chance that Wiggins, you know, meets Draymond Green and they're hanging out in the locker room and Draymond Green just destroys him um, and just breaks him down to a little, you know, piece of nothing. And he turns out to be worthless. Um, or maybe he doesn't. You know, maybe he mans up and, and, and grows and becomes better and better and better. But from what you hear about Wiggins and his mental state and from what we understand about Draymond and, and his presence, I think that that's going to be a, a really interesting fit um, that I don't necessarily expect to go well, even if it does go well. 
Um, you start to look at, you know, again, what that Warriors roster really looks like. And from a guard perspective, it's pretty rough. I mean, again, all the guys that you're used to seeing that you know are obviously hurt. Um, they lose Russell now. It looks like their starting guards are going to be... Um, actually, Draymond Green right now is on ESPN is listed as the starting point guard and the starting power forward. So <laughs> I don't know if Draymond's going to really play both positions, but you got Damian Lee, somebody named Kai Bowman, Jordan Poole. Um, Curry will be back hypothetically in another couple months. I don't know if he's actually going to play, but um, they're going to need some more bodies at guard. I mean, if you live in the San Francisco area, you have a pretty good handles. You have nice peripheral vision, uh, good height, nice <laughs> wingspan. Maybe just kind of go and hang out um, and see if they're really looking for anything because, I mean, good Lord, the Warriors are going to need some guards. So I think the Warriors are actually probably my biggest downgrade on the day. Okay, and how, so how much did you move them down? And do you think that my Pistons minus one is right? I think it's actually maybe ends up being a little more than that. I think that that team maybe really craters. Um, I hadn't taken a chance. Let me pull real quick here, pull up their depth chart and see what that looks like. I mean, you know, they're going to have Derek Rose, uh, Sviatoslav uh, Mikolajuk, um, which seems like we are in the tennis podcast all of a sudden. Tony Snell, um, <laughs> Sekou Duambe, and Christian Wood. Um, backing them up, it's going to be Reggie Jackson, Langston Galloway, Bruce Bowen, Markeith Morris, and uh, John Henson. So um, a pretty bad situation gets worse, and I think it may even be more than one point. I think that um, as this goes along, that one point may be as many as two or even three, frankly. I think this team is just, this is a really bad roster, especially if right, Derek Rose I'm going to take your advice. Like I'm going to make it two hurt. right now. I have my model in front of me, so. I'm going to take your advice, and I'm going to make it two-point adjustment now. Yeah, I think it's it's two-point adjustment there, and I think the Warriors are two, maybe even a three-point adjustment. And, um, you know, if you're a big totals better, really focus on uh, avoiding anything from an over-perspective. I think with the Warriors, I think that um, not only stylistically are they going to look to slow things down offensively, they're just not going to be able to score points. Cool. Well, thank you for your input. Definitely wanted to run those by you because um... – I know that your model is, is hyper-efficient, too, so I'm trying to get on your level there. Trying my best, Brad. That's, a, that's the idea. We yeah. get here, and we talk, and, and we try to grow a little bit. So, you know, thank you, everybody, for listening. Please reach out to us. Let us know what you think. I mean, how many points did you move um, each team in your own little models and your own power rankings and your own sheets and, and things like that? We'd love to hear that at Networth Pod. Shoot, shoot out to us there, and you can find each of us. And maybe Spread will even find time to do a periscope for some of the games tomorrow or Saturday or Sunday since the NFL is gone. we got a little more time to do some content. So um, we had so much fun doing the tennis scopes. What do you think? Maybe we'll get an NBA one in tomorrow or Saturday. Sounds like a plan. I'm really down. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. All right, good luck in all your wagers.